Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we love you because you have heard our voice. You have heard our pleas for mercy over and over again. You have inclined your ears to us. Therefore, because of that, we continue to call on you as long as we live. There isn't a day that we we don't cry out to you, Father. Please, 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 Father, meet our every need. During this time of trial, during this time of frustration, during this time when we're not sure what is next, Father, please hear our cries. We're so, so thankful that you are our shepherd, and because you are our shepherd, there is nothing that we have that we would want in. God, you are everything to us. So we praise you and we give you thanks, Lord, because you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us right now. Please give us what we need from your word. Encourage our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's uh, great to be with you again, and uh, it's been a while, and I'm so grateful to be with you. I wish you were here with me, but um, I'm glad to be with you online. We are all glad to be with you online uh, this morning as we've been worshiping God together. So blessed to be part of this church here at Hope Markham and what God is doing in you and what he is continuing to do through you. And I am very excited about the future of this church. As much as I am grateful for what has gone on before, I believe so much that the best days are ahead for us as a church as we continue to praise God together, worship God together, serve God together. And so just want to thank all of you for that are serving. I want to thank our staff who are uh, serving diligently here at the church and serving us. And so many of you who are leading in small groups or different areas of ministry, just like our worship team right now, we just want to say thank you so much for uh, how God is continuing to use you. So if you got a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're continuing our series uh, called A Church Together. We're re-examining what is actually important to us, what uh, kind of church we are supposed to be. That's why we're in this series. We're magnifying the marks of a faithful church, trying to highlight the attributes of what a faithful church actually looks like, what it, what it acts like. And these attributes are things that we aspire to be, and they should be increasingly more and more descriptive of what our church is like together. And so Pastor Jason, a few weeks ago, uh, taught us about purposeful discipleship. Pastor Paul, two weeks ago, talked about passionate worship. And now today we are looking at fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. So let me ask you this question. Would, if you were trying to describe what our church is like together, what our church family like is together, if you were talking to a friend or a neighbor or someone across the street and they were saying, hey, what's your church like? Would praying church be one of those things that you would say? Would you say, hey, we're a church that's fervent in prayer? Is that how you would describe us? Remember, these are attributes that we are aspiring to be and should be increasingly more and more descriptive of us as a church. 
Would people who visited here after they were here for a little bit of a while, if they went back and they told their friends about our church, would they be saying, hey, that's a church that's a praying church? Spurgeon said, Spurgeon said, believe me, if a church does not pray, it's dead. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge on the power of prayer in the church. Chambers said this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. It doesn't equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so this morning, we want to look at this truth. Here's our big idea for this morning. A faithful church is a praying church. A faithful church is a praying church. Now, you don't have to go very far in Scripture to examine that 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 was true of the early church, of the first century church. If you go to Acts chapter 1, and there's 120 people who are in the upper room, and they're waiting for the day of Pentecost for the Spirit of God to arrive, and it says that they are devoting themselves to prayer. So even before the church starts, they're devoting themselves to prayer. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses four, verse 42 tells us that the church of Jerusalem, when they gathered together, they were devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, but they were also devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, right, it, it, there's this challenge that's given for the church to pray for boldness. In Acts chapter 6, the elders talk about how they, they, the apostles tell them, tell the people, listen, we've got to dedicate ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And on and on it goes throughout the book of Acts and on and on it goes throughout the New Testament. It's not, you don't have to look very far to see that the early church, the first church was a praying church. But what about the 21st century church? What about our church? What about the church today? You see, a faithful church is a praying church. It's a praying church. And Jesus, here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus draws this strong connection between faithfulness on one hand and prayer on the other. You'll see this because in Luke chapter 18, now many of you know this parable that we're about to read. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus, in this parable is drawing this strong connection between uh, prayer and faithfulness. In fact, faithfulness is the context of this parable. If you go back to chapter 17 and verses 20 through 37, you'll see Jesus teaching his disciples and the Pharisees, teaching them about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the return of the Son of Man. In verses 26 through 30, as he describes what the days are going to be like before the return of, of the Son of Man, he says, it is going to be day, they're going to be days like Noah's days and Lot's days. Look at what it says in verse 26. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and a flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. He's describing in these verses what the days are going to look like. And then he says in verses 31 through 37 of this same chapter, chapter 17, 
He says, you need to make sure that you're ready for the return. In other words, don't be like Lot's wife. Lot's wife who was taken out of Sodom, but it turns out that Sodom was not taken out of her. She looked back. Look at what it says in verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if you want to be found faithful all the way to the end, to the return of Jesus Christ himself, you want to be faithful, not unfaithful at the return of Jesus, then you need to acknowledge the fact that there's this battle going on inside of each of us. There's this danger that each one of us faces. The ordinary things of eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building They can become distractions. They can become problems when they become our desires and our dreams and our goals and our idols. This is the context of this parable. And then if you go all the way down to chapter 18, verse 8, when Jesus ends the parable, you'll notice what he says. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, this whole parable is about faithfulness. How to stay faithful to the end. When Jesus returns, will he find faithfulness? See, faithfulness is the context of the story. And prayer is the key to faithfulness. You see right here in verse 1 of chapter 18. And he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. And not lose heart. The reason for this parable is to produce an effect, to produce a result. He says that you ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, Jesus isn't telling them this story just to give them information about prayer. He's actually trying to transform them, produce a result that they would pray. Not just to believe in the importance of prayer, but that they would persevere in prayer and they would persevere in faithfulness. So the story we're about to read, the story we're about to dive into, you need to understand, it's all about a faithful church. And if you want to be a faithful church, you've got to be a praying church. If you're going to be faithful to the end until the return of Jesus Christ, you have to pray. You have to pray. I don't say, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. We pray and we don't stop praying. We, we're fervent in our prayer. And here's what I know is true. That doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Most of us know that prayer is important. I would dare say that most people who are watching this and listening to this right now would say, amen, brother. Prayer is important. That's right. It's important. We got to pray. So I would say this, that, that knowledge then is, is not the only thing that moves people to prayer. In fact, because most of us know we're supposed to pray, and yet if most of us were taking an audit in our lives right now, would we actually say that we are praying people because we know it's important? You've all said amen, 
But are we all praying? So it's not just about knowledge. In fact, no, Jesus gets at the heart of it. Prayer is a matter of the heart, and it's actually a matter of the will, not just a matter of knowledge. The Spirit of God has to control us to the point of creating a strong and undeniable desire for prayer. And this parable tells us what that looks like. Are you ready? Okay, let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 2 through 8. Let me read it for you. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here's the first thing you need to understand. If we're going to be a praying church, we need to understand this. We must have a sense of urgency, a desperation for, and a dependence on God. You see that in verses 2 and 3 of this story. Without urgency, there is no significant change. Look at, what say, look at it in verse 2. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. She's in a very urgent situation. She desperately needs things to change. The enemy of urgency is always complacency. Self-sufficient. Everything's fine. My life's okay. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. Nothing ever changes in life without an urgent need for change. And this story is a story about a woman who is desperate for change. There's a strong sense of urgency. It's a story about a widow, an adversary, and a judge. She's a widow, and we don't know a lot about her other than that, other than that truth. She's a widow, but we do know that in Jesus' day, in this in this, the first century, if you were a widow on your own, maybe without any family, you were in a desperate situation. Most widows, if they had lost their husband, would have probably uh, remarried. Or they had a strong connection with their family. We'd have no idea what all the details in this woman's life. All we know is that in this story, she's all alone. She's like desperately all alone. If she is literally all alone without anyone else to rely on, she would be living on a very small, a very small inheritance, struggling to make ends meet. And so there's this woman, and then there's, she has an adversary, somebody, we don't know anything about the adversary, other than that he's an accuser, he's wronged her, he's making an accusation against her, so much so that she has to go to a judge who, by the way, doesn't fear God or respect anyone. He doesn't care about what God thinks, and he doesn't care about what people think. 
That's a problem when you're trying to seek out justice. And so she, but she has nowhere else to turn. The situation she is in is desperate. She's absolutely desperate. There's a sense of urgency here in her life. She's urgent for change, and she's desperate for change. And when Jesus is telling this story to to us, uh, to the disciples and to us, we are reminded of this truth that we are the widow in the story. We have nowhere else to turn other than God. And that's the problem. Because we find many times in our lives and in our churches that there is no urgency. There is no desperation for God. In order to stay faithful to the end, to the return of Christ, you have to be like the widow. That's why Jesus is telling this story. He's saying you have to have a heart that's full of urgency, a desperation for God and a dependence on God. And yet so much of what we do is full of self-sufficiency. We rely on our knowledge and our experience. We try to talk our way out of things, or we plan and we execute our way out of situations instead of crying out to God on our knees for his grace, for his mercy, for his compassion. This is the only way the church can stay faithful. You have to have a heart that's full of urgency, a desperation for God. A desperation for God that ignites a full-out dependency on God. You'll see that and even in the story. She has nowhere else to turn. She desperately needs the judge. She needs this judge. And we need God. That's true in salvation, isn't it? Isn't that true in our own salvation? That when we came to the realization that our life was full of sin, that we all possess the sin nature, and because of that we all fall short of the glory of God, what did we do? We had to, we had to cry out to God. We had to seek forgiveness from the Lord. We had to come to the realization that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross, and then we, we responded, like it says in the book of Acts, we called on the name of the Lord, and we were saved. I think about the fact that, that I'm a husband. I'm, I'm actually called of God to be an Ephesians 5 husband. Where it says, I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Now, man, come on, tell me, come on let's be honest. Who can do that? Can, can you on your own, can you on your own actually meet that requirement to actually love your wife like Christ Love the church? No, you need God. You need God to help you to do that. You desperately need God to help you to do that. You are fully dependent on God to help you to do that. Or how about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, that tells us that we should do everything to the glory of the Lord. Everything to the glory of the Lord. And you say, wow, man, like my, you, maybe you spend most of your day taking care of your kids at home, folding laundry, making meals, and then you drop into bed at night only to do the same thing over again the next day. And you're saying, wow, like how am I supposed to do 
all of that to the glory of God. I'm telling you, you will not do all of that to the glory of God unless you are desperate and dependent on God to help you do that for the glory of God. How do you live life faithfully? Well, I'll tell you this, when you're not praying, when you're not praying, you're saying to God, God, I have this, I can handle this, I can do this on my own. And to be a praying church means that our hearts and our wills have to be full of a sense of urgency, a sense of desperation for God and a total dependence on God where we're expressing to him, God, we desperately need you. That's what a praying church is. That's what a faithful church is. It's a church that has that sense of urgency, that has a desperation for God and a dependence on, on God. And then, and then there's this. We also need to have an expectation. A praying church has expectation. That is this, that our words actually do matter to God. Look at what it says in verses 3 through 5. And the widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And I want you to emphasize this in verse 3. She kept coming to him. She kept coming to him and saying. She kept coming him to him and saying. We don't know how many times she kept coming to him and saying. But she kept coming to him and saying. And what does she say? Give me justice against my adversary. For a while this judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This woman has a sense of expectation. She's desperate. This is a very bad situation. What are the chances that you're going to get justice from someone who doesn't care what God thinks or what people think? The chances aren't very great. But she remains expectant. She kept coming. She kept coming. She actually believes that her persistent words will move the judge to give her justice. I mean, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this situation. She has only one person that she can appeal to, and it's a judge who doesn't care what God thinks and doesn't care what people think. She goes one day and requests, makes a request. Then she goes the next day and makes another request. Then she does it again, and she does it again. And I'm thinking, like, after a while, are you not just going to kind of give up? Nope. Not going to give up. Why? Because she must have, she must have had some kind of belief that if she continued to come to this man, that he would eventually, he would eventually give her justice. She remained expectant. She actually believes that her persistent words will move the judge to give her justice. And he actually says that that was true, that her persistent words, they actually wore him out. And again, we are the widow in this story. We're supposed to keep coming to God with our persistent words. We continue to come to the Lord. Some of you have prayed for the salvation of somebody for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Persist, persist, persist. Keep coming to the Lord. We are the widow in the story. And the great news is that God is actually nothing like the judge in this story. 
He isn't uncaring like this uncaring judge. But here's the point. Do we believe that the sovereign God of this universe actually acts through our fervent, persevering prayers? Do you believe that your words matter to God? Mark chapter 11 verse 24 reminds us that we must be expectant. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So, wow, man, really? Hey, Jesus said that. Read again. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and, and it will be yours. I know, you know, you think about all the conditions. Yeah, I got to be praying in God's will. I have to be seeking after the will of the Lord. I understand all those things. But, but let me ask you this question. Do you actually believe this to be true? Whatever you ask, if you're asking like that, and you believe that you have received it, that it will be yours, do you actually believe if, that Ephesians chapter 3 is correct, that God can do far more abundantly than we can even ask? We have to ask. James tells the church, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Samuel Storms says it this way. He says, don't assume that God will give you something apart from prayer, what he has promised to give us only in response to prayer. Sometimes we just, we, we just feel like we just, we just take our foot off the gas. I mean, you know, God's in control. He'll do whatever he wants. Do you understand? God wants to hear you cry out to him. And, and, and the beautiful part about this is there's so many stories in Scripture that teach us that when people actually did pray and they actually did ask, that God responded. He responded. Just because you're thinking about something or you want something doesn't mean that you've really asked for it. See, our words, they matter to God. Whether they're audible or whether they're silent, our words expressed to God, they actually matter. There's this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. This whole story in the book of Revelation talking about people who are being persecuted for their faith And it says that the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the saints were rising up into the throne room of heaven. And they became like incense. You say, well, what's that that mean? What does that mean when the prayers of the saints rise up into heaven? They become like incense. You see, when when people cry out to the Lord, when they cry out things like, how long, O Lord? And they get desperate and they get urgent and they seek the Lord with all of their heart when they're crying to him what happens your prayers their prayers turn into incense they turn into this beautiful scent of worship in the presence of the Lord you can't tell me that your words don't matter to God they matter they matter and so if we are going to be a faithful church, and what that means is we need to be a praying church, then our hearts are going to have to be full of a sense of urgency, a desperation for God, and a dependence on God, and also full of expectation that when we actually pray, our words actually do matter to the Lord. And, and God actually does, he does act through our, through our words as mysterious and as amazing as that might sound that the sovereign lord of the universe would do that yes lord 
Yes, Lord, our words actually do matter. And then there's this thing, this, this, there's this. Our hearts also have to be full of belief. Belief in who God is and what he does. Look at verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. I love that. Jesus just kind of leaves it there. Just listen to what the unrighteous judge says. In other words, listen to what he said about how how the widow, you know, she just kept coming after me and, 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 and I gave her justice. And he says, well, hear what the unrighteous judge says in verse 6. And, and will not God, verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Our hearts have to be full of belief. Belief. You persevere in prayer. Your prayers will be fervent before the Lord when you know and believe in the character of God himself. Here in verse 7, in verse 7, he says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The elect, these are God's chosen ones. Those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have Come to the point of realizing that, that you, you are full of sin and your sin nature, and it separates you from God. And you have responded to God's gift of salvation through faith. You have responded to that. You, you've cried out to him. You are part of his elect, a part of his chosen ones. You have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And God's sovereign grace through the death, through the burial, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has adopted you into his family you are now justified you are being sanctified and one day you will be glorified you are God's loved ones the elect Romans 8 28 through 39 reminds us that there is nothing that separates those of us who have been placed into God's family there is nothing that separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus nothing Nothing. We become a praying church and therefore a faithful church when we recognize who God is. He's a God who has chosen us. And therefore, because he has done that, he is, because he has shown so much love towards us, we cry out to him day and night. We persevere in prayer because we know what he's like. He's not uncaring like this judge. He actually cares very much for us. He he actually loves us. He delights in us. Zephaniah says he sings over us because we're in Christ. He loves us. And so we are filled with hearts that are full of belief because we know who he is. And, and then we also know what he does. We pray fervently when we know what God does, that he does good to those that he loves. He says right here, do you see what it says in verse 7? It says in verse 7, will, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He says he doesn't delay. He gives justice speedily. And you said, oh, wow, I was tracking with you up to that point. I'm not sure I've been to this point. 
God gives justice speedily, then how come I have to pray over and over again? How come I have to persist in prayer? Listen, listen, listen. The word here for speedily can mean soon or it can mean swiftly. That is, when it happens, it happens fast. And I confess along with you that there are many times in my life when I wish that God had a different timetable than mine. But in his time, in his time, it's always soon. And when it happens, it's swift. And it's always good. Always good. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe in who he is and what he does for those that he loves? Because if you can't, if your heart is not full of a belief that your God, the God of this universe, the one who created the world, loves you, loves you with an eternal love, the same love that the Father had for the Son. John 17, Jesus taught us this in verse 24. The same love that the Father had for the Son, the eternal love that the Father's had for the Son through the Spirit, is the same love that he has for us. For those of us who are in Christ. And unless your heart is full of that strong belief, we will not be faithful. We will not pray. We will not be like the elect here in this story who are crying out to God day and night, day and night, day and night. So the question at the end of verse 8 is a really important question. It's one that we really need to reflect on and think about this morning. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If Jesus were to return today, what would he find? What would he find in the church today? Would he find faithfulness? I think if Jesus were to today come back today, and not, not, not just talking about our church, but the church in general in Canada, if, God, if Jesus were to return today, I think he would find a frustrated church, a church that wished that they could be meeting together, frustrated with, the, with different things, you know, just like the rest of the people in our country, frustrated. He might even find a fractured church. You know, a church that is not only in disagreement with one another over different opinions, but even to the point of dividing over one another over different opinions. So I think he would find within that fracture people who, have, who, have, who are more into convenience and comfort than they are into conviction and commitment. So what would he find? What would he find today? If he were returned today, if Jesus were returned today, what would he find in the church? Would he find, would he find frustration? Would he try and fracture? Or would he find faithfulness? Would he find a praying church? Because that's the sign of faithfulness. One of them, a praying church. People crying out to God. People who are full of urgency in their hearts, desperate for God and and dependent on him, full of expectancy. People crying out to God, knowing that their words actually do matter to him. People who are full of believing hearts, trusting in who God is and knowing that he cares for those that he loves. You see, a faithful church is a 
praying church. This is such an important part of the life of our church. It's such a hard, a hard point to see happening in the life of our church. Oh God, please help us. Please help us. So what I want you to do right now is instead of normally closing the way that we normally do, I just, I want us to pray. I just want us to pray. I know some of you are at home by yourself and some of you are at home with your families, whether you're on your own or with your families. Would you just take the next couple of minutes? There's a slide up on the screen now with a couple of prayer requests. We just love for you right now just to spend, just cry out to the Lord with a sense of urgency, expectancy, and belief. Just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, would you please make us more and more into a praying church, God? Please do that. All right, please, please do that. Go ahead, spend some time now and pray together.
Father, we just um, ask, desperately ask, that you would help us, you would teach us, you would fill in our hearts and our minds an understanding today that faithfulness, faithfulness is what we want. We want to stay faithful to you till the end. And yet, God, would you please just reinforce, Spirit, would you please do this? Would you teach us individually and as a church together to learn how that prayer is so essential to faithfulness. There's nothing up. There's so little other things. We got to cry. We have to cry out to you to be able to stay faithful. Father, we love you because you have heard our voice today and you have heard our pleas for mercy. We know we have great confidence that you have inclined your ear to us. Therefore, Father, this is what we will do. We will call on you as long as we live. May that be the heartbeat of this church. May we continually call on you as long as we live. On you, Father, nothing else, not on our own ideas, not on our own plans, not on our own abilities, not on what we are able to do, not on what we think about ourselves, nothing. Just teach us, Father, to continually call on you as long as, we, as long as we live, as long as we live until the Lord returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.